Welcome to Creators by Moonlight. Real conversations with content creators. Carmen DeValis is a photographer from Austin, Texas. After retiring from nursing, she turned her hobby into a second career and founded the nonprofit Doggies for Dementia. In this interview, she talks about unexpected creativity in the medical field, the challenges of dementia, and never truly retiring. Grew up as kind of an Air Force brat, and we traveled around quite a bit, but I spent the majority of my childhood in Illinois. Went to college at University of Nevada in Las Vegas and uh, studied music, as a matter of fact, and then changed to nursing. Have had the opportunity to live in some wonderful places, including Hawaii, uh, which might be my favorite. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and now I live outside of Austin, Texas, which is pretty wonderful too. I spent 40 years as a nurse and then half of those as a nurse practitioner. So I just kept going to school and going further and further in my career. There were a few times I had jobs that were purely clinical and, you know, really short visits. And it was just, just shoot me. Just, I can't, I can't take it. It was just not for me. And um, I always gravitated toward like home health. I did house calls, even as a nurse practitioner, where I went to people's homes and got to observe them in their studying and had, you know, I kind of became part of the family in a sense. That to me was just so rewarding and fulfilling. And that is really where I belonged in my, in my career. So difference between mainstream and holistic care, I would say if you're going to look at what, say a non-holistic, more body focused. Uh, so you come in, you've got a problem, the problem is addressed, and you're given a treatment for that, and you go your way. And on the holistic side, which most nurses are, by the way, by virtue of our training and our how we are taught from the get-go, is let's say you come in with a broken arm. We will work with that broken arm and they say, hey, you know, how did this happen? And then we're looking at safety issues. And then we're looking at home safety. We're looking at body. We're looking at how it feels for them. Who's going to care for them? How are they doing emotionally? Up and including their spiritual care. What does this mean to them? Does this get in the way of their achieving their their lifelong dreams or their goals? And you know, it can be from the very simple to the very to the very huge how illness impacts us. Creativity in nursing. I mean, we are problem solvers. We uh, see a problem, we look for solutions, we advise and support in that solution that we may have for a person and work as a team and then reevaluate, right? So that in of itself takes some creativity because what might be the best thing for you, it may not be what I see as the best thing for you, right? Let's say diabetes, and I'm talking all about nutrition and what things you need to avoid and how we might be able to do that. You know, the, the person sitting across from me might just be looking at me and go, you know, we have family parties every weekend and this is what we do. How am I going to do that? How am I going to eat healthy when we're all digging into the fried comfort foods here? That takes some creativity to say, okay, well, let's talk about that. What are some options here? 
what is doable and what would be the first steps and then the next steps, you know, that it's not a big, huge change all at once. Some of the creativity comes into getting to know the other person and asking the right questions and then brainstorming some ideas. Oftentimes, as much as we would love that gold standard to be the end-all, be-all, it is not. It's a standard. And then there's a lot of fringe around that and how that's done and the results of that. Sometimes it takes a long time and sometimes not, you know. And, and it's so big about relationships. And no relationship is successful without creativity. I found myself writing papers, which were of course, research and rather dry and things, but I incorporate, I always incorporated stories and um, speaking in public, which I love to do and would go to conference. For me, it was all about the stories because those were my patients. Those were the families I worked with. And what better way to learn about a person's journey and about their triumphs and their challenges and what they did about it than a story. So I think always in my head, I saw images flashing and I even did video before video was cool back in my master's program in 1990s, you know, with the really big video. And, and I just thought I just need to capture the family telling their story, having no idea what was really waiting for me decades down the road. Now, I always felt there was always this inkling. It's like, well, what would I do if I wasn't doing this? Because it it was wonderful and I, and I and I loved it but I I just felt like it just wasn't quite everything yet for me. Gosh, it took me till I was almost 60 to even ask myself that question out loud and to seek out answers. I think I was around 56, 57 and I'm working in a clinic which I really enjoyed and it was neurology and I specialized in care of those impacted by dementia which Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. There's many different types, but uh, we saw a variety of different forms of dementia, mostly Alzheimer's, and uh, a care for their families. They, the family care, it's, it's all inclusive to say, well, my patients all had dementia. They're like, yeah, it's families impacted by dementia, including the person with dementia, and we don't have a cure. We're not even sure of all that causes it to say, hey, this is how to do your best to avoid it. We have some indicators. And so a lot of what we did was that support. Each family you know, had their own particular journey and a, and a tough journey because most of us have no idea where to begin in caring for somebody who has dementia. I mean, how, how could we? And I was very fortunate in that I was the place that I worked. I worked with some wonderful people and the manager said, you know what, if you need 30 minutes or 45 minutes to talk with the family, go ahead, take that time, just block it out, which is unheard of <laughs> in medical, right? And in that time, I just heard stories and I just thought somebody needs to share these stories because I think if in general, we heard what the challenges and the changes and then what people did about it and how they evolved. I just thought the world would be so less petty. And one of the things families had to say was they felt really lonely. They felt like people didn't understand. Of all that time thinking somebody needs to tell these stories, one day it just hit me with one particular visit and I thought, oh my gosh, I really need to share these stories. I really need to share these stories and I couldn't imagine doing it without photos and telling their stories at the home or wherever they wanted to be, but somewhere outside the clinic. Just hearing their take on it to not only 
educate others about dementia, but to support other families that are beginning to take that journey. <laughs> Truly, by the time I got home that afternoon, I had an idea in mind on how I was going to do that, which uh, was really crazy, but you know. And then I thought I kept be, I made myself excuses too, you know, and I'm like, well, you've been doing this for 40 years, so it's, it's okay to leave and think about something else. It's okay, that's the next step. And I truly didn't have an idea how it was gonna look, but I really had a strong calling that this, this is what I needed to do and to just be ready for what would unfold. Convinced she needed to tell the stories of those living with dementia, Carmen turned to her hobbies and interests as inspiration, namely her passion for photography and her love of dogs. I started with a film camera way back in my 20s, and people always want to know what kind, but it's a Canon, and um, I loved it, but I really rarely got off of the automatic. I didn't know a lot about details of photography at all, and nor did I understand it. So I'm like, ah, I keep this. this is a hobby. So I didn't invest a lot of time learning, but I did have a good eye and I saw things. I always saw things as photographs in my mind. It's like I have a running soundtrack and I see photographs <laughs> like split moments in time. And that's just the way my brain works. And so I always had a camera with me and I was always documenting times of my life and playing. And it's so funny, even as I'm thinking in my life, I'm like, what do I, what else do I want to do? I mean, I literally had to take the camera around from my neck and put it down and go, yeah, what do I want to do? And it's right there, you know? And I thought, you know, I better take some classes. <laughs> I better learn how to use my camera. And that, and then binge learning is an understatement. So around 2015, 2016, I photograph friends. I, um, I have a, a portrait business and I, I really just kind of evolved to doing a variety of things. And as I studied and practiced hard, just I, I love the more candid type things, but I did a variety just looking to see what is it that I really wanted to do because there are specialties in photography as well. I love flowers up close, macro photography. Yes, flowers and landscape and travel. One of the most healing things for me was to go to the park or to go for a walk and to photograph even the farm animals near me here because we're kind of out in the country. And I just, I don't even think I realized just how much joy that brought me and, and realized my photos brought joy to other people too. The art side of it and even the mixed media, I do some painting and things along with the photos have evolved since then. I guess we just never stop growing, you know. I have always had dogs, uh, other than a short time in my 20s when uh, I was on my own and living in an apartment and things. Uh, dogs have been a part of my life and continue even, even more so, I think, in bigger ways. Again, talking a little bit about the pandemic, I think that when there's a lockdown and people are feeling isolated and not connected. They sought out dogs for that comfort piece and realized just how important another living being was. The most popular stories on social media that I posted from my book, families from my book, had dogs in them. And I thought, well, let's go where the people want if they want, if they'll stop and read a story because it has a picture of a dog in it and it shows people kind of. Uh, at more candid 
those emotional, candid photos, joyful or what have you, then that's what we'll do. I thought, you know, let's do some photo sessions with families and include their dogs. And it was part of my for-profit photography business, but I did not charge families that were impacted by dementia. And I set it up and I said, hey, this is what I'd like to do. Do you want to share your story? So I think I probably did about maybe 10, 10 um, different photo sessions with families and anywhere from a field of blue bonnets to their back porch to um, just wherever they really wanted to be. And uh, we included the dogs in it. It got to be kind of popular and people were like, what the heck is this? And what are you doing? And would stop and read the stories and got to know the people I was writing about. So then I included blogs and uh, videos and it just, just kept growing in that way. At one point, you know, and I'm working with business coaches and they're like, you know, Carmen, <laughs> this program that you've, you've taken in your for-profit, but you're gifting it sounds like a nonprofit. It probably should be a nonprofit. And you know, looked at the pros and cons, and I've been doing that work probably a good year and a half, and maybe almost two years. And then, then in uh, February of 2020, which is timely, I did all the applications and spent the money to become a, an official nonprofit, Doggies for Dementia Foundation. We photograph families impacted by dementia, usually with their family dog, and there's a good reason for that, to help educate the world about dementia, Alzheimer's, what does that look like to help relieve some of that isolation and loneliness, that feeling that others don't understand for families going through it. I had actually written a book after I left my career and I, I followed 13 families for a couple of years. And one of the few things they all had in common was that feeling that people don't understand and their friends and family kind of disappeared. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. It was grief on top of grief, loss, loss, loss. We just felt like, hey, this doesn't have to be this way if we understood it in a way. And in the beginning of the foundation, I thought, you know, this is the way with my career where breast cancer back in the day was rarely talked about. Women struggled alone. Yeah, there was such a stigma around it. You didn't say breast. You rarely said cancer. You said the C word, right? Not cancer. And uh, what happened was women shared their stories. They were very courageous. They got out there, shared their stories, talked about it. And then others felt more free to come forward to say, hey, that's part of my story, too. And then the rest of us got to learn about that. And that's what I, in the formation of Doggies for Dementia, that was really one of my big thoughts, too. I'm like, okay, we can change this. We can change this. Carmen shares insights she has learned about dementia, as well as how the Doggies for Dementia Foundation has positively impacted others. Dementia is actually, it's an umbrella term. So there are many different forms of dementia, but it's a neurocognitive. So it has to do neurology and with our brain and that it's progressive. So there are changes that are progressive. So for some people, it could be difficulty finding the right words. And I mean, in a kind of a big way where they're struggling to find the right words, it might be balance. They may have trouble finding their balance and with uh, more falls and things like that. The most common one we know about are memory losses. And so this might not be like, I forget where I put my keys. It's like, I forget where I put my keys and then I find them in the freezer. 
you know, those kind of things. Or more recent, usually it's not the distant past that's forgotten, it's the more recent past, things that happened 10, 20 minutes ago or the day before. Along with that, sometimes we don't think about this um, particular sign or symptom is judgment. So we'll see people making decisions that they wouldn't ordinarily make and really defend it, you know, really defend why they made that decision. Some people have hallucinations. They're seeing things or hearing things that others do not. There can be really big personality changes. Some forms of dementia can take people who were otherwise really sweet and, you know, work hard to get along and things like that. And suddenly words are coming out of their mouths that their family didn't know they even knew. And, you know, things are flying or throwing things or are very paranoid. And of course, anxiety and depression, because I just got to think what it would be like to sense you're like losing it. You know, you're not remembering things and people are telling you something and you're like, I don't even know that happened. It's a scary thing. I mean, it's a really scary, scary thing. And how would we respond to that if not with anxiety and wonder, what does everybody else know that I don't? Because I don't remember. At the very core, there's grief. Something's wrong. I don't know what it is. And part of that is denial. Certainly, especially with couples, there is a way of covering for one another because couples learn to communicate as, as humans, we cover for one another as it is. You know, I know my husband has things he's really great at and some he's not as great at. Maybe I'm pretty great at the things he's not. I take over. I do that, right? Dementia typically, not always, develops very slowly. It's a kind of a slow progression. And it's really easy to miss and or to rationalize away. And, and so it's easy then to be in a state of denial for both the person experiencing it and for the family as well, or to make a, you know, reasons why this is happening. However, I will say some people with dementia even further along where it's pretty clear that there's a problem, there are some that will continue to be in total denial. And that's actually even a part of that symptomatology because to them and their minds, there's absolutely nothing wrong. I don't even know if, if we would call it a it is a denial, but it's also a not observing or realizing that there's something wrong. How do you intervene? A lot of that's very personal decision. I've worked with families where maybe the son said, look, we don't want to mention Alzheimer's. We don't want the word dementia mentioned, and we want her to go on living happily the way she is. And another sibling may say, you know what, I'm all about the truth, and I think she needs to know. You know, so there's a lot of debate there, and that's a really individual decision. So a big question is, but what happens if my dad develops dementia? He lives alone and he has a dog. I'll go back to my nurse practitioner Ruth and say, you know, the line in the sand is always safety. Is it safe for all involved? Can the dog get in the way? Some dogs, you know, have a lot of energy and things. Would they get in the way and be a fall, increase the fall risk? Does the person with dementia, with reminders, what can we do to help them to remember to walk the dog and to feed the dog? And so a lot of times early on, it really becomes a purpose for people. I'm going to feed the dog. I have it written down, maybe. That companionship and having their dog is just so important, but so is safety, right? So it's a matter of risk and benefit. 
every situation is unique and every decision is unique. There may come a time when someone does have an animal and may not be able to take care of it. And then what other arrangements can be made? You know, can a neighbor keep the dog and the dog still be involved in the life of that person? It's a tough, tough thing. It's a tough thing. Some stories about doggies for dementia and the impact is, uh, oh my goodness, yeah, let me see if I can do that without crying because it's kind of hard. Yeah, and I I sit here and edit pictures and have tears uh, because it's just so loving. Um, I would say one, one of the most impactful was a lady named Carol. And Carol was in a memory care, but it was doing pretty well overall. Her daughter was interested in doggies for dementia, and so we chatted and we picked a date pretty far off because her daughter was traveling and she, when she got back and we had it set up and she called me and she said, you know what, we're set up for next week. It's so funny. My mom just said out of the blue that what she really wanted to be her whole life was a movie star. And I said, really? She goes, yeah, she never told me that before, but how's that? She knows. So now we're going to do her pictures. And the wheels started to turn and she's very much a girly girl. She loves to shop and have her nails done and dress really pretty. And I thought, you know, um, her daughter's name is Robbie. I said, Robbie, she goes, I'm going to take my mom shopping. I'm like, great. I'm going to be there. We're going to get some of that. We're going to take some pictures of that too, because it's part of what your mom loves to do. And what we had set up then with the long-term care too, is they had a media room. And oftentimes after a photo session, the week or two later, I return and give the families, uh, I show them the pictures and video. I do a video slideshow along with some video clips. And I said, why don't we do that in the media room and invite the public? And then we added a red carpet and then we added some Oscars <laughs> and then we put the pictures on big easels and it got to be so much the news showed up the local news stations did stories about it and interviewed her it just made her feel so wonderful and so this night we all got dressed up and we showed the video of her the making from getting her hair done and her makeup to shopping to the photo session itself and presented it to her. There wasn't a dry eye in the house and it was just beautiful. And it was kind of a making of that dream come true for her. That's one, and and I will just say to last year between Delta and Omicron, I um, did four photo sessions with families, different places, different, whole different stories. And out of those four, Three of them went on to become seriously ill, like a week or two later, non-COVID related, but seriously ill. And each family said, you know what, if we hadn't have done it when we did, we wouldn't have those. And just what it meant to them, the timing and to have those photos. And one, I was able to deliver the photos on her celebration of her, I think, 91st birthday. You know, it's those moments that it's like my life is like in vivid color, you know. Doggies for dementia, typically people will reach out to me and contact and go, hey, I saw about the program. What do I need to do? And uh, that's when I provide them with some of the details. Now, I'm in Central Texas. Uh, we have traveled to New Jersey, uh, Georgia. We've done some traveling for different 
for different families. However, I'm in the process now of training other photographers around the country who want to volunteer for Doggies for Dementia. So location is way more open now. And uh, we just simply say, okay, and I, I learn about their family. That's a part of it, about their loved one. And the same question, it's like, what do you want? What do you want the world to know about your journey? And we cater the photo sessions to what's important to the family or to their loved one. A few months ago, I did a photo session at a, at a ranch, you know, with some of the farm animals and things, and it was lovely. And so we really just work with the families one-on-one and go, okay, this is free to families. The photo session, any video that we capture, just all of that piece, learning their story is absolutely free. And they are gifted the matted prints, um, 11 by 14 prints as well. And then uh, we do the work behind the scenes to make sure their stories are, it gets shared out in social media and blogs and uh, any video capture that we may have. And then uh, we make sure that they're a part of that as much as, as much or as little as they want. Carmen talks about the challenges of the business side of creativity, including the legalities of running a nonprofit, marketing strategies, and maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Forming a nonprofit is not for the weak, <laughs> to say. Um, however, I incorporated help. I uh, had a friend who her business was helping get the nonprofits off the ground and getting the paperwork submitted. And she really just held my hand through it. And I did that. The real work, though, is learning about a nonprofit and how it, because it's, it is like any other business. However, it also has its own special things to learn. And so the marketing piece and, you know, most creatives, I mean, we're, the side about learning about business is completely different than the art that we create. So learning how to market and do the posts and all the all that's needed on social media, as well as grow an email list and the intricacies on how to set up to grow an email list and the website set up. Now, those are the things that are a little bit mind boggling. I had some experience because it grew from my other business. So I had learned this in those few years from the time I left my nursing career to the time I started a nonprofit. I had learned a lot. I didn't even know what I didn't know. <laughs> it was a lot. We're all volunteers. My husband's not on the board, but he's always there for behind the scenes, which is extra sweet for families. And we've got three photographers right now. We're just getting ready to get on board for their areas, which I'm really excited about. We were uh, awarded a grant from the Alzheimer's Foundation of America which is a, a big national group. So we're very proud of that. And that grant is earmarked to grow um, nationwide with other volunteer photographers. The social media platforms that have worked best for us are the more visual. Instagram is one where we are uh, sought out for and continues to grow. And also we're connected with a lot of other agencies and groups that support families impacted by dementia. And we love that. So we have a resource page on our website. Facebook is another one that we use quite a bit. Twitter is picking up pretty quickly, which is surprising to me because I really don't do, I really don't tweet and um, I'll, I'll do some posts here and there. And then I reach professionals in the long-term care 
industry who can also connect us with families through LinkedIn. So we're really kind of everywhere with different, different goals in mind. Constant learning is constant learning. In fact, this morning I was working on creating reels. Now, if I had told myself five years ago, you will be making reels, I'd be like, what the heck is that? <laughs> you know, it's short form video. I'm like, nah, I think I can get by without that. <laughs> Sparky is my dog. He is a rescue and uh, just the sweetest, sweetest dog uh, to me and my husband <laughs> and a few other people. Um, he's very, uh, oh, let's just say he, he has a small circle of people he loves. <laughs> but uh, he has become our chief canine officer uh, because he's, what I noticed was when I include him in my marketing pictures and talking about the program, uh, I get lots more attention and Sparky has the personality and things. Yeah, Sparky is the uh, kind of the face of Doggies for Dementia. And, and I will say this too, I, I have a, a good friend who has early onset Alzheimer's and he was first diagnosed in his early 50s. We spoke in public together on occasion. He was a part of my book. And when he visited, he has a form of vascular dementia and he would have bouts of extreme brain fog and just not know where he was or who I was or anything which was a big difference from typical. I mean, he spoke in public and was very fluent. But when Sparky would jump on his lap and just sit with him and put his head, you know, like put his head on, on my friend's chest, it just really helped to clear the fog quickly. He looked, he goes, Sparky. And he would remember Sparky and then it just helped to calm the anxiety. And I just thought, you know, dogs are just so healing. Sparky being one of those, which is, you know, another reason why we include dogs in our photo sessions. You know, the dogs that are in photographed in Doggies for Dementia, one of the big questions we get is, do you supply the dog? What we suggest is for families to have a dog that is familiar and or a family pet. And that goes back to safety for us. A lot of times we will know of like a therapy dog that or um Oh, the dogs that will come into long-term care and they've been trained and we know that'll be safe and we can capture some really loving moments with those dogs as well. But otherwise we don't. So Sparky does not make an appearance. <laughs> Sparky does not. Um, but for that reason, because dogs can react in different ways too, you know, and we want it to be familiar. The foundation plus my for-profit they go hand in hand, and it's, it's been a little bit of a challenge learning to balance. I'm 63, and I'm really not wanting to do full-time anything, <laughs> but, um, you know, but uh, having two businesses and the balance and how that's going to look, as well as learning how to run a business, much less two, has been a challenge, but it's been a really fun type of challenge. I've gotten it down now where certain days I do certain things and other days I do the other and last night we just left and went out and caught some blue bonnets at sunset and you know went to the parks then I'm able to integrate a little bit more of the fun side especially because I do so much now with the landscape and florals the macro flowers we travel and take our dogs and travel and wherever I am becomes my palette for creating new items for my art store. 
and new things for me to do, and I would be doing that anyway, you know. I've learned to coordinate it to be part of a more happy life, and I'm a work in progress, there's no doubt. As much as I loved my career and things, I feel like I'm living the best life right now, you know. I have a grandson and grandchildren, and I'm just at the peak of my creativity, and it's just the greatest. And learning every day, I'm learning new stuff. Retirement is far off. <laughs> Carmen discusses what's next for the Doggies for Dementia Foundation, advice for dealing with dementia, as well as advice for creators who want to give back. So what's next for Doggies for Dementia? We are working hard to reach families. You know, we are a wonderful service and it's free for families, but a lot don't know about us. <laughs> they haven't heard about it and aren't sure what it is. And, and and we'll sometimes have to, we really want pictures at this time. And well, every family says that. And, and then they realize like, oh my goodness, every part of life is worth honoring. And so a big part for us is to reach families and to let them, let them know we're here as well as to grow, as I said before, a photography base so that we can provide for families around the country. I would say seek out resources. Resources have grown what is provided, the magnitude and the value, as well as the quantity. So quality and quantity have expanded hugely even in the last five to six years. So get out there, look to see what resources are locally and nationally. There's a lot of good information and there's a lot of great information from families who have gone through it. Um, I just spoke with a gal last week who has a podcast that she started after caring for her mother because she realized there just wasn't a lot of great information out there. We have a program called Experts Dig In with Doggies for Dementia, where we, uh, have interviews with um, experts from around the world, including family members who are, by the way, experts in care and on what they may have to offer others going through it. So I would say, yeah, look for those resources. Just start to go through it. And, and remember, it is a marathon and not a sprint. It's not easy. I don't think most of us are ever prepared for anything like the journey that they're about to embark on. And it takes a lot of learning and patience. And everyone is unique. Everyone is unique. You know, there are some ways even busy people uh, can give back, especially I'll just talk about social media, right? Let's say you want to give back and you're just not sure how to do that. Even sharing a post, commenting, reaching your audience in a way, let's say, let's say you read something on Doggies for Dementia, you really love it and you share that. Your audience, there are bound to be people impacted by dementia in some way that either because of stigma or just haven't said anything yet or don't know how to say it that are out there wondering, what am I going to do? Right. That alone is a huge help. That's a help to uh, your friends. That's a help to society. I mean, that's one of the values of social media is we get ideas and information out in lightning speed. It's simple, right? But it could be one of the most powerful things. You know, I think the giving back part came first for me and then realizing the creative ways. You know, artists are so gifted in thinking 
I don't even think it's thinking outside the box. It's like not having a box. <laughs> and then to look to see like what really makes your heart sing or what stories are you drawn toward and what can you do to support it. I mean, I, I've seen artists who do shows and donate a portion to nonprofits and, and to organizations. They Maybe they have a family member who had dementia or something like that. There are a variety of ways of giving back. It is just being open to it and then maybe just sitting with that. What can I do? What could I do? Art is really, I mean, even how we name our art, you know, it's about the story. There are such simple but powerful ways of giving back. Look for those nonprofits and what fundraisers, because nonprofits have really struggled. Most have struggled during a COVID and pandemic, and the fundraisers mean a lot to keep them going. The website, there's a donation, uh, there's a, a button there for donation, as well as on Facebook. There's a donation on our Facebook page. Yeah, we're always open to that. I mean, that's how we're able to provide all that we do at no cost to families. And we really work hard to say, we really don't even want them to donate. We really want to gift them this and honor them and their story and their loved one. So I really stand strong by that. And we only do that through the grants. That was our first grant. So we're excited about that with the Alzheimer's Foundation of America and donations. That's how we, that's how we keep going. There's doggiesfordementia.org, which is our website, and that's where the blogs live. There's a resource page that has a lot of good information. Most of the videos on YouTube, there's also a Doggies for Dementia channel. They're also on the blog, but we're also on YouTube and social media for sure. There's a person behind every post and every response, and that would be me. <laughs> right here <laughs> yeah but they think like oh we're probably not going to reach the president you know like nope she's sitting right here and sweats in ponytail and she'll respond <laughs> that's what we do thanks for listening to creators by moonlight email the show at creatorsbymoonlight at gmail.com and follow the show on social at creators by moonlight <laughs>